All right. Well, hey, we are going to kick off a new series today, and uh, we are calling it In God We Trust. It's a big statement, In God We Trust. And uh, you'll notice, uh, as you kind of look at the picture, that it's actually on our money. And wouldn't it be great if we actually believed that? You know, in God we trust. We don't trust in money. We trust in God. And in this series, we will talk about some of the struggles that we have in trusting God in the area of our finances. It is an area that a lot of us struggle. We struggle in it. We think about it. We worry about it. We obsess over it. We always feel like we don't have enough. We need more. And, uh, and, and I think as God looks at our lives and looks at our heart and looks at our worries and concerns and fears, he knows that this is a major area of trust in us. And so we want to talk about that. I know this is a sensitive subject to some, but to God, it's never been sensitive. Matter of fact, Jesus talked a lot about money. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned about money, handling money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, that's 288 in all, directly deal with money and possessions. The Bible uh, as a whole gives us about 500 verses about prayer, 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses around money and possessions. So it's something that is written about from cover to cover. It's something that if we want to grow as Christians and we want to grow as surrendered disciples, then we've got to talk about it. We've got to say, God, what do you have to say about this particular subject? Let me start with Psalm 95, because this is a foundational kind of piece of thinking, of perspective that we have to have in our lives if we're ever going to understand how God views about this particular subject. So here's what it says. He owns, that's God, the depths of the earth and even the mightiest mountains are his. Another of the Psalms says that he owns the, everything, the cattle on a thousand hills, that from God's vantage point and from the scripture, he teaches that everything he owns. He owns it all. I don't own any of it. And so what am I in this equation? Well, the Bible calls you and I a steward of the money and the stuff. God owns it all. A steward isn't an owner. A steward is a manager. A steward has been given a trust in order to then say, okay, this isn't mine, but the owner, God, what do you want me to do with this? So I don't know if you've ever been in a place of actual stewardship over stuff like my buddy, John, he was 17. We were both 17 in high school, seniors in high school. John nailed the job I always wanted. And the job any 17-year-old kid would want. He got a job at a Porsche dealership. <laughs> and his job was to transport the pre-owned Porsches, that's pre-owned, not used, from one lot to another in Tucson. And I just thought the coolest job. I couldn't imagine it. Now, John didn't own any of the Porsches, though sometimes he tried to pretend that he did. He would drive up to our high school. I mean, can you imagine having you know, one of the latest model Porsches that was out at the time, your 17-year-old kid, long hair, drive up to high school, pick up any girl you want. I mean, 
He went from, you know, well, I won't even say it, but so he would pull out of the parking lot of the high school doing like 60 miles an hour, just showing off, hit a corner, doing 60. He would pick up one of his friends. And, and now he kept that job for about how long do you think? <laughs> about three months. Because he got in a little fender bender and then he went from driving the cars to washing the cars. <laughs> John was a steward, but he kind of lost sight of that and almost took on the idea that these were his little babies. We do that sometimes. We lose sight of the fact that any of the stuff that we have or we enjoy, the money that we have, that it's not ours. It's God's. It's God's. Matter of fact, Jesus said that whoever can be trusted with a little can be trusted with much. And that's a statement of stewardship. That when God gives you a trust, and most of us, don't we think we have little? I mean, come on. We're like, I don't have much. Matter of fact, I don't have anywhere near what I want. I have very little. And yet, the scripture teaches us that how we view the little has everything to do with how we'll view the much. And so it matters. Stewardship matters. In this series, we're going to address some of the practical things about money and finances, we're gonna, but we're going to talk about the heart. We're going to talk about the anxieties and the fears that we struggle with and why is it that we struggle so much to trust God in this area of money. In the, in the meeting we were doing as a teaching team, we were talking about what's the goal of the series. Well, the goal of the series, I just want to tell you right up front, the goal of the series is that we would have more and more surrendered disciples in our church. Yielded Christians, people who want to serve God with their whole life, people whose hearts have been changed. They were no longer slaves to the fear of, 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 of uh, insufficient finances and that we're tightly gripping it, but that we're stewards and we're looking in our future where God is and we're trusting him and we're yielded to him. We, uh, we have a generous church. We have a wonderful church council. Our, our church is meeting the budget that we've set. We're doing fine. This is not a series designed to help pay the bills around here, okay? It really has to do with the heart. And see, the, it, we have to realize that one of the things that prevents us from moving into deeper realms with God, deeper areas of trust, a deeper relationship with him has to do with this issue of money and stuff. And we struggle with it. And if when God makes a breakthrough in this area, I'm convinced, because I've had it happen in my own life, that we begin to move into deeper realms of our faith. And so I want that. I want that for all of us. So let's talk for a moment about stuff. We love stuff, don't we? Americans love stuff. I want your stuff to become my stuff, and I want to get rid of my lousy stuff and get upgraded stuff. And I have a shed filled with stuff, but is it enough? No way. I want more stuff, and so do you. Have you ever moved? Whenever you move, it's interesting, if you've ever moved, the ultimate reality of stuff happens when you move. Because you, whatever U-Haul you, you Tisa and I were just talking because we've moved a bunch of times along the way. And when we moved uh, from Texas to Arizona, we had that little baby U-Haul. You know, that little tiny one? And then when we moved from Tucson or Prescott up to here, 
We had the biggest one they owned. You know, give me that one. And we had a 24-foot trailer, just hauling the stuff up. Have you ever helped someone move? You know, the thing invariably people say when they're, because they feel guilty. I don't know where I got all this stuff. Like it's like rabbits in the shed multiplying. You bought it. Or you took a loan out for it. You know, we pack it, we paint it, we maintain it, we insure it. And then when we move, we do it all again. King Solomon was a professional stuff collector. And here's what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, I became sad about all the hard work I had done on earth. People can work hard using all their wisdom and knowledge and skill, but they will die and other people will get the things for which they worked. They did not do the work, but they will get everything. How do you like that? I mean, you are more generous than you know. You're not going to give 5% or 10%. You're giving 100% away. All of it. We all are. My grandfather was um, a hardworking man. He was a successful businessman in Indiana. Built a big business. Always viewed himself as a, as a self-made man. I mean, he, he owned a lot of stuff. He had a couple homes. He had a lake house. He had an airplane. He had boats. He had, he had all kinds of stuff. And uh, thankfully, late in his life, he became a Christ follower. And uh, that was such a cool thing to have happen. Uh, but I remember Grandpa always used to say, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You know, just kind of that generation, that mentality. And, uh, and, and, but when he died, you know what happened is that he gave it all away, all away. And even his business today has been liquidated and it's no longer there. Uh, I was lucky enough to get this watch from him. It's this gold uh, pocket watch. They don't even like make watches like this anymore. It's a Hamilton. And uh, it was one of the things. So whenever I look at it, I think, I think of him. But I also think of the fact that he had to give it away. You know, this is one of his favorite. When, I'm going to give this watch to one of my kids, whichever one I love most will get this. And, and uh, no, 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 I have, I have another thing for the, you know, one for each. I think. But, uh, you know, I would take this any day over an iWatch because this thing, this thing is going to last. It already has. It's about 80 years old right now. You see, your stuff will outlast you is the point. Your stuff will outlast you. You will give it all away. And the false perspective that we have is that I'm the owner, not the steward. And we think that way. And yeah, we're going to give it all away one day, right? But it's so hard to give it away now while it's in my little hands. And yet if we begin to treat our stuff and our money like a steward and quit pretending like my friend John that we're the owners then we will begin to perceive, we'll begin to live life different, we'll be able to uh, live with, with, with a different mentality altogether. Now, I just want us to think about that uh, because it is, it is a struggle that we have. It's difficult to kind of make that transition. And we know it theologically, and I know for many of you, you've heard this before, but it's, it's doing it that's challenging, right? We, we, we have this tendency to just think, man, I, I'm a Christian. I, I, I want to know God better. So God, what's the least I can give and still 
be your friend? You know, what's the least I can give and have you like me and, and be okay? And we, we, we adopt this mentality of the bare minimum to keep God happy. And we just got to be kind of delivered from that mentality. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're here and you're new, um, just sit back and relax. This isn't even for you, um, you know. But you will get a great insight into what Christians believe. You'll get a great insight into what God teaches regarding this particular subject. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to look at a story that comes out of the Old Testament. And it comes out of the life of a man by the name of David. David was the king of Israel. David was this really strong leader. He was a gifted leader. He had ascended uh, to this high position of being the king. And the people was the nation of Israel. And God, from Israel's perspective, God lived in a tent. He lived in this tent called the tabernacle. And within the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, or a box. And so that was sacred. It was sacred space. It was a place of worship. It was a place where the priests would go and meet with God. And David, towards the end of his life, as he got older, he looked out at this tent as he's like living large in this palace that he had built for himself. And he, he kind of gets guilty and he feels bad. And he, he, he says to himself, man, I want to build God a house. It's not right that I should live in all of this and God's out there living in a tent. Now, he, they knew better than God didn't literally live in the tent, but it represented kind of this place of, of God, this God space. So David gets this, this idea. He's going to build this elaborate temple. And uh, because all the other nations around, uh, they had temples for their God. And so David wants to build this thing that really speaks of the glory of God. Well, God sends David this message and says, David, that's honoring to me, but I don't want you to build it because your life is stained with sin and you have shed a lot of blood in all the wars that you fought. He's like, but I will allow your son Solomon to build the temple for me. Now, God didn't need the temple. God didn't ask for the temple. But David, it was from his heart he wanted to do this for God. Instead of being dejected, David decides, okay, then I can participate. I won't actually get to build it, but here's what I'll do. I'll raise the funds for it. I'll recruit the laborers for it. I'll find out. I'll, I'll help architect it. I'll help think uh, and visionize it and get everything planned and all the money raised so that when my, Sol when my son Solomon is able to build it, he just pulls the trigger and it goes. So David spends his latter years of his life preparing for this temple. And it's amazing because of all of the funds and all the money and all the sacrifice uh, that, that was given to this, and yet David himself would never actually be able to enjoy it. We'll pick up the passage here in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. Verse 2, With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God. Let me just stop there and say this isn't, David wasn't thinking about a percentage here. He wasn't thinking about the minimum that I can do. He was saying, no, uh, with everything that I have, it's all God's anyways, and so I'm going to participate in this. And he goes on, and he says, gold for the gold work. 
silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the building, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. One guy did an estimation of how much was given to this, and it came up with $17 billion. It was quite an elaborate and massive undertaking and sacrificial because David, the king, not only gave of the king's treasuries, but he gave of his own very personal finances as well to this project because David had this attitude of, I don't want something that didn't cost me anything. And then look down in verse 5. He says, now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the families and the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave, how? Willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 8,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord and the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. Can you feel the energy that's behind this thing going on? I mean, there's joy, there's willingness. Uh, it's not like a tight-fisted situation. People had gone from, from being viewing maybe themselves as owners to stewards. And it's something that's visionary, that God's doing something, and I want to be a part of it. And people just got caught up in this whole thing. And it wasn't about what's the minimum I can give. It was like, man, I just want to be a part. What's the maximum of the potential God has given to me? I think that's incredible. I don't know if you've ever been a part of anything like that, but what a fun and cool thing to be a part of. Have you ever thought that way, though, when, when it comes to giving? is like, what's the minimum? Okay, just tell me the percent. And, and, and rather than just looking at the, the big picture of the whole. You know, like tithing, for example. For those of you who maybe have heard the word but not sure what it means, tithe means 10%. And that can't, it came from the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it came from a guy by the name of Abraham. It wasn't commanded by God. Abraham decided, kind of like David did with the building of this temple, I want to give God 10% of the spoils that he's given to me. And then his son, Jacob, ends up tithing as well and deciding, I want, to, I want to tithe. I want to do that as well. And then you'll see it throughout before the law was ever even instituted. And then, then evidently God loved that so much, he's like, I'm going to put that in the law. And so it became part of the law of Israel that you would tithe and, uh, and, and give above and beyond that as well. And then, of course, Jesus comes along, right? And Christians often go, yeah, he came away and he, 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 he fulfilled the law and now I don't have to tithe. How cool is that? It's like, you know what? Here's the good news. You don't have to tithe, okay? Take a big sigh. Oh, you do not have to tithe. It's not a commandment. 
that's on your life. It's not. Neither is taking a day off, the Sabbath. See, there are things that were laws that, be, that are principles today from Scripture. And the tithe is a principle, like the Sabbath is a principle. Take one and seven days off. Now, if you don't, are you going to be judged? No. Will it end up, over time, stacking up and hurting you? Probably. Is there a blessing behind taking a day off per week? Absolutely. Tithing is the same thing. It's a principle in Scripture. You see it before the law. You see it during the law. You see it after the law. It's a principle that as we give to God and place that into our thinking, it's a practical way every single week of your life to go, I'm a steward, not an owner. I'm a steward, not an owner. And yet tithing was never designed to be the magic percentage that if you achieve that, God has a smile on his face and now you're good. It was never designed for that. Tithing is a starting place, a place that we put it into our frame of thinking and into our budget so that what we do is we're living as stewards, not as owners. But all of it is God's, not just 10%. The other 90%, everything that he has given to you belongs to him. And the question really needs to be, God, what do you want to do with my life? God, what do you want to do with what you've entrusted to me to manage? I'm not the owner. You are. I don't want to be concerned about the minimum. I want to know about what's the maximum I'm able to do, God. You see, you'll never be able to outgive God. How much can I honor you with, God? Now, here's the good news. We're not building a building. We're not doing any of that. This isn't about that. This is about looking at the vision God has for your life and your place in his kingdom and saying, God, how can I participate with you? See, this group of people, Israel, they saw that. In verse 10, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. What's the principle that you get out of here? Everything belongs to God. Everything, my time, my talent, my energy, my intellect. Yours, O God, is the kingdom. David was saying, everything I've worked for, everything I've sacrificed, it's all yours. Verse 12 says, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Everything belongs to God. Everything also comes from God. You know what you are? You are the combination of what you've been taught from others and everything God has given you. David is saying, all of my leadership skills, my intellect, my money, everything I have came from God or came from someone else investing in me. I'm not a self-made man. In your hands, he said, are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Power and might are in your hands, and it is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. See, everything comes from, everything belongs to God, comes from God, and everything is distributed by God. Everything I have was distributed 
by God. You know what the idea of this verse is? Is that we all have different measures of things that God has entrusted to us, that God has asked us to steward. Some of us have very, very, very little. Some of us have a medium amount. Some of us have a large amount. A few of us in the room are geniuses. Many of us are just kind of smart, and some of us are not so smart. There's people in the room that came from great homes. Others, you know, kind of mildly dysfunctional, and some hugely dysfunctional, and you're still trying to dig yourself out of that. We all have been given a different hand. And it's not up to us to compare with other people and want what somebody else has or look down on somebody else is to say, God, what have you put in my hand? What have you given to me? And how can I steward that? How can I steward it? Because it comes from you. It belongs to you. It's distributed by you. In the same way, we're not able to look down on others, but we realize that some people just haven't had the opportunities that maybe you've had. It's not that people don't want to work hard. I mean, what a myth that is. Sure, are there some? Yes. But that's not the reason why we see the, the brokenness and the poverty and the issues that are going on in our world today. It's not, it's not just that people come from bad countries. It's that some people have been blessed with a lot, and they, therefore, who's been given much, there's much expected and required. And as a country, there's a lot required of us by God. And as people, there's a lot required by us because we're stewards. We're managing somebody else's stuff. It's not just all because of my hard work or my intellect. See, if you think you're an owner, you're confused, and all you need to do is go home and find some stuff that someone died and left to you. And it'll help remind you, you're going to give it all away, that we are stewards. So the question isn't, what's the smallest I can do? The question is, God, what do you want me to do? God has put a certain amount of stuff in your purview, in your trust. He's trusted you with it. Now he's saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? What are you going to do with the stuff that I've entrusted to you? See, David and his followers caught a glimpse of that. They didn't see themselves as owners, but as stewards. And that changed something. Because the very temple that David envisioned and, and all the people sacrificed and raised money for is the same temple that Jesus was in when he was 12. And he was reasoning with the religious leaders. It's the same temple that Jesus went into as an adult and flipped over the tables and said, this, my house is a house of prayer. It's the same temple that Jesus compared to the glory of God. And it's amazing that somehow those people way back then envisioned how God would use this place of worship. Now I want to just ask you, imagine with me, what would happen if all the Christians in America went from seeing themselves as owners over their own stuff to just stewards over God's stuff. What would happen in this church if that happened? If we quit acting like owners and we started acting like stewards? Did you know there's already enough money in all of the bank accounts in this country to finance the Great Commission? There's already enough money in this country to end hunger in our world to provide clean water for every country and every child who's having to drink dirty water. 
We could get the Bible translated in every language we need it. Missionaries supported, seminaries built, church buildings that are needed there, and, and people fed and clothed. The problem, though, is that Christians, many, many Christians, see themselves as owners. And so we, we hold on tightly to what we have, and we think that it's ours, and we earned it. And God says, I have things I want to do. I have things I want to do, but he wants to do it through us. And we got to go from being owners to stewards. Just imagine what we'd be able to do just in our community. I mean, we've done some little things along the way that, that I'm so proud of you as a church to participate in this city, to build up the, the strength of our community and serve the needs uh, among, among our city and to invest in other countries that um, are, are suffering and hurting and need the gospel. But there's, there's things we can continue to do. There's ch other churches we can resource and help. There are churches that we can help plant. There are people that we can feed. There's, there's nonprofits that we can invest in. There's all kinds of things that we get to do and participate in, in the kingdom, seeing God glorified as we do that. I don't know if you've ever um, kind of been allowed to utilize something that wasn't yours. And that was nicer than maybe even some of the stuff you've had. I mean, we have a family in the church that has a really nice uh, home, but they have even a little nicer uh, guest house. And they've allowed us as staff to go there and pray. They have opened it up to missionaries. And because they, as a family, see themselves as stewards of the things God has placed in their trust. And so I remember sitting in this wonderful, brand new, beautifully decorated guest house and looking around and two feelings hit me and probably have hit you as well as you've stewarded anything that has been entrusted to you. One is I better not screw this up. Like, this is nice. I'm responsible. Like, I better treat it like better than I would. I no Cheetos on the floor and all that. I better, <laughs> like, I better, I better be responsible here because uh, I'd like to come back one day. And then the other thought and feeling is gratitude. Wow can't believe that these guys are so generous. I can't believe that I get to be here and hang out and pray in this kind of space. How cool is that? Stewardship has a way of eliciting those two feelings, responsible and gratitude. Responsible and gratitude. Is that how you feel about the things that God has put in your trust? This is a great church. We have something special here. We really do. It's a family. So many people have had their eternities changed. And I mean, right here, the difference between heaven and hell. And you know what God is doing? It's incredible. God is still at work pouring out his grace, reaching into needs, and calling us to come alongside of him and say, I've got stuff I want you to participate with me in. Just stay open. Be stewards, not owners. Let's pray. God, thank you for your great grace in us. So that what we have, Lord, may we never take it for granted and never feel entitled to. But help us, Lord, walk humbly in our lives, whether we have nothing but a little, or whether we have so much more than most people. 
God, I pray that our attitude would be the same. God, it's yours. Help me not draw a box around any of it. Help me not ask the question of what's the least I can do and be good and change that to, God, what's what's the most I'm able to do? What would you have me to do? So, Lord, we're praying, God, would you help us become surrendered disciples, yielded followers, wholehearted, joyful stewards. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, along this line of thinking, I want to invite you to an upcoming financial peace class because stewardship is holistic. It has to do with spending less than we make. It has to do with getting out of debt. It has to do with saving for the future. And it has to do with giving. It has to do with being released from the financial pressure and anxiety and, and, and pressure points that this culture puts on us. So this, this class coming up is on a Monday night. It'll be nine weeks. And uh, you can sign up for it on the internet or on our website, Dave Ramsey's uh, Financial Peace. But uh, we've done it several times. It's a great class. It'll encourage you to not just be kind of inspired like, okay, now what? Well, it's getting our whole financial lives in order to be stewards of God's resource. Let's stand up together. God bless you. Have a wonderful day today. If you're new, I'd love to meet with you. I'll be right over here. Our prayer team will be right over here on this side.